Welcome to First Generation Burden, a podcast dedicated to immigrants and the creative community. My name is Rich Tu, and I'm your host. This is episode 66, season 8, and we're dropping this on a Thursday special drop to coincide with Art Basel Week in Miami, Florida. And today is very special. We have artist Anna Park. Her large, expansive charcoal drawings are having a huge impact on the fine art world, literally. And she's also currently showing in Miami for Basel Week. It was really fun to talk to Anna on the level of artist to artist. So there's a bit of shop talk, but don't worry. There's something here for everybody. We talk about how her career started as a recent grad turned phenom. Also, what it was like growing up as a Korean immigrant and living in Utah. And we touch on parental expectation, which is something that comes up often on the show. So it's a great conversation. Can't wait for you all to hear it. And this is the second of four collaboration episodes with the OG magazine. And a written version of this interview will be in the magazine with some of Anna's images. So check that out. If you're in Miami in person, try to get some physicals. But otherwise, there was a link in the description for everybody else. So yeah, can't wait. Uh, and also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and drop a review. It makes a difference. So here you go. Without further ado, Anna Park on First Gen Burden. Anna Park, thank you so much for joining us for this special First Gen Burden, the OG Magazine collaboration. You are an artist whose work is a high-energy mix of the surreal and the hyperreal. You recently showed at the Half Gallery and also at Pace. You're going to be at Art Basel in Miami this year. Artnet recently described your work as charcoal drawings of the end of the world, and you've described it as humanity as its finest, which I love. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from, which is how we start all these conversations? I would love to hear about you being born in Korea and also growing up in Utah and how that experience possibly informs your work today. Oh, sure. Where do I? I guess I'll start with my name. My name is Anna Park. And um, yes, I'm, I'm from uh, Daegu, South Korea. I was born there. And then I kind of lived like both my childhood, kind of, until I was like six. And then I moved to New Zealand, moved back, and then to California for a year, and then um, somehow ended up in Utah, um, which is pretty random. But I think in hindsight like it afforded me a lot of like different perspectives and have always been like from the outside looking in kind of um can i ask what your why did you move around so much like was it a parental work situation or was it just more you know other circumstances um the initial move to new zealand was kind of on my mom's part i think she just uh wanted us my my me and my brother to learn english at the time and she was like it was pretty um rare uh for someone in her generation to be like let's just pick up everything and move for like we went there for two years i was like i was a bit too young but i remember snippets of it and then when we got back to korea i think i had a fairly hard time adjusting um and because i didn't quite like figure out my identity like I, I felt korean but then i also spent like a lot of time in new zealand so like being displaced like on either parts i was just like figuring it out and then she um i think then decided to move to america just to afford us some more broader uh, opportunities i guess or just like live our life to our fullest and like do things that we really wanted to do not that you can't do that in korea it's just more um the educational system is a lot more heavy and um 
the I you know I, I loved art as a kid, but I don't think she realized like what it would really become. But honestly, if it wasn't for her, I I don't think I would be here today at all actually. And then Utah it was kind of she just got a job there, so we were kind of in limbo for a year or so in um in Redondo Beach, um in California. So yeah, I remember like living in a motel for like the first month or two and i was like what is happening i'm like this is america i guess you know like watching <laughs> disney channel and like american right. movies my whole life and in korea i was like holy shit this is gonna be so glamorous you know i'm gonna like <laughs> live like the american dream and um yeah it, it just happened so fast you know and i was like uh, i was like a kid i was like, maybe 10 years old so um yeah i had to like really adapt quickly and utah was kind of like a whole different world nothing compared like i can't i couldn't really compare it to anything else um you know like one side is very conservative but the other is like very like ultra suburban so like very almost like this like idealized version of like what my idea was of like americana was and right. i think that really showed through my work whether it was like consciously or subconsciously like like I decided to implement that into my practice, I guess. So. Were you were you consciously observing with the intent to, you know, to create work of this observation of Americana? I think what Utah provides, like you said, is the mix of like the suburban, but also there's there are city elements there as well. And it is romanticized throughout like, you know, cinema and also like the the media output in the United States itself. Did you, is that something that was always in your head that you wanted to recreate or were you simply creating things that you saw in front of you? I think it's more the latter. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I ever set out to be, um, making work about like my past experiences or like my experiences right now, but it happened to be like, I'm more of like an immediate sort of person or like more responsive, uh, artist. So like anything that surrounding, I think a lot of artists are that way though. Like they're, their um, life experiences ex inform their work and whether you realize that the moment or not, it kind of, um, yeah, that, that formulates the ideas, I guess. So um, I guess when I moved to New York, it was a lot of like the memories I could latch onto was like my most formidable years in Utah for like eight years I spent there. So I, um, a lot of the memory bank that I was pulling from was from that time period, I guess. So a lot of people, when I was like making like all these like party imagery of like, you know, like drunken escapades or like clubbing and stuff, like it's, it was almost me like fantasizing about my, I don't know, like fucked up high school days or something. I don't know. I read that you were also mentored by Bruce Robertson in Utah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and his work, I think, has a very interesting um, energy and also um, configuration of form. His compositions are quite interesting to mm -hmm. me. Did that influence your your creative output at all? Yeah, I, I think now looking back, it did. I mean, he uh, it was interesting because he taught us in a very traditional sense, like figure, very traditional figurative um, oil painting and drawing, but his own work was like much more loose and... Uh, abstracted uh, at the time like I didn't realize like oh to get to that point he kind of had to go through years of just like practice and um, kind of like immersing yourself in this like almost like craft I guess um, and he 
really instilled in me this like love of I don't know like just keep like consistency I guess of like doing it and like you know initially it was like a bit rough because you know I was like young and angsty and I'm like you don't know what the talking about and like you know like wanted to defy any sort of like uh author uh, you know authoritative like stance on things because and he was he was really just like tough love on me and i think i um i do think about him a lot like even when i'm making now because um like a lot of things he taught me then like i implement it now still into my work so no for sure i feel like your your party compositions those drawings i mean i, I love them so much just because of the energy and also you know um i'm i love to draw uh myself coming from like an illustrative background your work to me feels like it's like francis bacon a bit of ed hopper ish but like if andy warhol's studio 54 polaroids all had like a baby yeah. <laughs> that it's like such a you know um such a unique energy um i'd love to hear you talk a little bit about how you arrived in this expansive uh, type of drawing space and also you've described um this phenomenon of ghost drawings ghost mm -hmm. drawings of when you're like drawing over and erasing something which is you know um kind of leads to the more process driven as opposed to like a, here's a final output of something uh can you speak a little bit about the size and the process you incorporate into your work yeah um well the size it kind of i arrived at it because it, it I felt like I, I was, I loved being really active with my work. Like almost I approach it, like I attack it more so than, um, and also like, it's kind of like a weird dance of some sorts too. Um, and I feel like, I, well, I, I tend to think of drawing as like memories in a way, if that sounds, it makes sense. Like if, like once you lay down the charcoal mark on the paper, it does, I think the ghost drawing means like, it leaves a memory or imprint or stain on the paper. And I really like that idea because um, that's kind of how our thoughts and memories work. It's never fully, I mean, we might like forget some things or like, like, or some things like really resonates and like stay with us forever. And I, I think the process of drawing is much like that. So, and like, I just kind of want to like scale up too, because um, I feel like the, my train of thoughts are kind of in bubbles, of, like in clouds almost. So like in order to kind of explore that more, like I had to expand constantly in the work. How'd you start working in charcoal? How'd you land on that? Did you go through a bunch of other mediums? Well, like I've always like painted and like done other things in, uh, you know, like when I was younger and an undergrad and, oh, oh, well, Bruce kind of like taught me, taught everybody and like super traditional, like buying charcoal, newsprint paper. Um, and I never really thought about super, it. Super traditional. It's like, yeah. like essentially 101 class. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It was like, like you draw the figure for like, you know, you just do gesture drawings for like six hours. Drawing a bunch of eggs, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh <laughs> my. A bunch of like cloth on chairs. Right, right, right. All, all the good stuff, you know, like the block figures and things. And, um, right. And it just stuck with me, I guess. And actually, like most of my undergrad, like the two years I was in undergrad, I just fully immersed myself in painting because um, I just figured like if I have to be a, an artist, I have to be a painter. And I do love painting and looking at paintings. And, um, you know, in the back of like part of my head, I was like just missing the process of drawing. And I still like did it 
a lot. But then when I went to grad school, I fully immersed myself into exploring like what I have, like the questions I had left unanswered withdrawing. And I'm, I feel like I'm still figuring that out now. Right. It's like, it's such a, it's a fairly limited or like organic medium. Um, it's just, you know, charcoal burnt wood on more wood. <laughs> So it's like, I, I felt like if I have like very limited parameters within my process, I can explore as much as I can within the concept or the style. Um, like, and it's more challenging for me, I guess, for right now. But um, yeah. I've, I've never heard of charcoal drawings described as burnt wood on more burnt wood. It <laughs> makes so much sense on a <laughs> cosmic level of like, just puts everything in, in such an interesting context. Uh, I'd love to hear about um, your move from Utah to New York because you got your BFA at Pratt and you got your MFA at the New York Academy of Art. Like, what was your, what made you want to move to New York? I mean, I get the overall wanting to migrate to a big city, but like, what was your, what was the move there and and how, what dictated those, um, your academic journey? Um, yeah, I, well, there's like one moment I specifically remember we were, kind of doing like a family trip, all of us, you know, um, on the East coast. And we happened, we were all like stuck on, my mom got these tickets to this, like double decker tour buses. And it was oh, like, those are awesome. <laughs> but it was like raining and just so hot. And I was like, what the hell are we doing here? But going through New York, I was like, holy shit. I, I, I think I'm going to live here one day. I don't know. I was like, I, there was something about the city that I like. How old were you when you, uh, went there when you did that trip that was maybe when I was like like 15 or 16 I don't know there um rarely like I feel like an environment forms like just I don't know like just has that like visceral reaction and like uh, having moved around so much I, I um it was rare that I had that kind of feeling or affinity with, with the place um and then yeah, so, well, at first I was going to go to L.A. for animation. Like, that was my clear-cut goal. I was like, I'm going to work in Pixar's, and I'm just going to do, like, hand-drawn animation. So, um, but, yeah, that dream was kind of squandered <laughs> early on. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, like, not what I thought. Well, a lot of, like, I had, like, a, um, a friend of mine had worked for DreamWorks, and he uh, described, like, the working environment. And I'm not saying it's bad. It was just like very different from what my naive brain was thinking. For and sure. Then, I, it's yeah. funny because I could actually see your, because you have such a uh, prolific output for this span of time that you've been active in the community and like in the world. And I could see that type of frenetic output benefiting the animation world, but also it's just a d totally different thing. I think you made the right path is what I'm saying. Chose the right path. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I hope so. We'll see. We'll see how, how things go, you know. But, it's a long life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so I applied to Pratt and then we visited there and it was truly just like the campus. And also like I wanted to go into illustration, not knowing again, like what illustration entailed. It just sounded like anything to get my parents on board with the idea of me pursuing art. In my mind, I was like, oh, this is a much more like stable um, more job oriented career path. So and then I came to New York and I think the, after the first year, um, I had a teacher 
James Lipovac and he kind um he just like pulled me aside and he's like what the fuck are you doing like <laughs> I'm like what do you mean he's like you should just do fine arts like you obviously seem like that fits more of your practice and your personality so I was like oh okay so it was a it was a very like um natural route but I was really lucky in the sense like there was a lot of good mentorship around me um to kind of afford me some like insight and also like a little bit of a push for sure i feel like the the practice of illustration and i'm saying this as a person who i got an mfa in illustration at svu oh yeah yeah so my mom's they, dream is my mom's dream. oh that was your mom's dream oh really oh that's kind of funny <laughs> like um me well get the paper and do something <laughs> <laughs> just a paper that says here by the way accomplish xyz goal here. Yeah, yeah um yeah but the study of illustration when in the course that i took was more of a a study of you know personal narrative and also yeah. um like a, a a disciplinary practice that lent itself towards commercial gain but mm -hmm. also you know, like, uh, but, you know, with more technolo uh, technology driven, also clientele driven kind of, you know, setting up for, for business. But I feel like, like the, these labels of um, illustration and fine art, they're so nebulous. Right. Like, can you speak? Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about how the shift from moving to, from an illustrative practice towards a fine art practice, I guess, to get your MFA, what was the, there's a mental shift there. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I think that's kind of what you mentioned about the narrative qualities, because like illustration is much, much about the narrative and the ideas. And I was um, I still wanted to retain that, but also have the amount of um, like, I guess you have freedom in both. But it was more like like I wanted to to I guess like what I'm trying to say is like it was hard for me to like collaborate because illustration is a lot about collaborating with um, people. And oh, then yeah. they set you up for feedback. They're like, oh yeah, someone's going to say something about this. You have to respond. Right. To right. I don't like when people tell me what to do. <laughs> I don't know. It's like more of a stubborn thing. Um, but it wasn't that much of like a, I like sat down one day and I, I had this like, like shift in like, you know, mindset. It was more, it was pretty organic, I would say. And um, like organic in the sense of like, I just dropped out of undergrad and then I moved to the school, which, was a completely opposite um, um, of the teaching. Like Pratt was very, my undergrad was very like about like ideas and um, being open and like freely like experimenting versus I go into a grad program where it was very much about like the ABCs of like fine arts or, or not fine arts, but it was like traditional, um, like art history and like, which is very important too. And that's kind of what I was, like speaking out at the time but um yeah like there are both great programs for um different things and i uh yeah i got i got i think i got a lot out of both of them at the end of the day because it is all that right like how does one's work or what you're saying like fit into um the greater ecosystem right right <laughs> the conversation sure. right now i guess so yeah um i want to hear a little bit about your thought on critics so in art school, crits happen in the room in mm -hmm. these supposedly safe spaces, even though oftentimes they're not safe spaces. Um, yeah. and you just, it's super immediate and also by other artists where you're feeling hyper competitive with the people that you're standing next to. But right. you know, but now your critics are very public, your work is very public. How are you adapting to that type of feedback? 
Oh man, yeah. <laughs> well, frankly, I feel like honestly, outside of world of academia, like it's so hard to actually find true, like like people that are going to be honest with you. Don't you think? I don't know. It just feels yeah. like um, sure. everyone's and, trying to kiss your ass or kick your ass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like and like you're going to like when you're going for a degree or like an uh, institution like you're you know you want those like different um voices and kind of like i don't know feedback i guess and that's like more easily given to you uh, if you ask for it um albeit like you know it wasn't all like like there's a lot of like weird politics involved in the school too in the sense of like you know especially now i feel like um sometimes like you don't really get the fully honest feedback or crit because it's um burdened with a lot of like yeah i don't know it's just yeah. like there's a lot of baggage when it comes to school class yeah. i think right right i mean like you know because it is so personal you know so sometimes like you feel like it's a personal attack but you have to remove yourself and then when you i didn't realize like i took a lot of that for granted in school when I, when I left because, you know, um, just like professionally, like who's really going to be honest with you? You have to have a core group of friends that will be, but that's even like hard because you also want to be like respectful and, you know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting adaptation because also from your academic space to where you are now, um, where there are a lot of eyes on your work, I think for good reason. Uh, it's it's interesting to see it happen in real time. Um, I also read that in your senior year at uh, New York Academy of Art, you were uh, seen by Cause, and then Cause helped draw a lot of attention to your work, and with good reason. Was that a moment for you? Did you realize that was a moment for you? I think in the moment, I didn't realize the kind of um, what it meant, really. Um, you know, I had heard of him and we were, you know, the event was honoring him that day. And, but I'm so fucking dumb that I didn't even realize I was talking to him. And I was like, oh, this is so embarrassing. But he was so nice, you know, and like he, it was genuinely just like very quick chat. And then he, um, yeah, he, he really supported me like to the beginning. And, but I didn't realize it was going to be this like wave of, of like all this attention which was also um, kind of, I was like in shell shock too, because I was still going to school. I had school left like that. Yeah. I still had like a year and a half to go. Um, so I couldn't help but it to affect my way of making also um, my trust in people or like my trust in myself and like what the, how the, how good the work was, you know what I mean? Because it's, you're you're all of all of a sudden like having all this um attention and like from people that i had been like, you know like one artist like dreams about and i'm like so grateful on one hand but on the other hand it like fucks with your head too for a little bit especially like in in a school environment where you are just there to like make work and like make mistakes make experiments right and i guess your question <laughs> no it's, it's it's fascinating i i remember when i was in my mfa program it was two years mm -hmm. and there were only 20 of us it was a small class it's a small class every year in that particular program at sva and i remember never feeling more emotionally raw 
I remember never feeling more like just me self meditative about my own stink, you know, mm -hmm. and I was also yeah. under the cover. Like no one cared about anything I was doing. No one cared about what the person next to me was doing. So I can only imagine mm -hmm. what it's like when also there's attention involved too, but, it, but you've, you've really weathered it so well. Um, how did that affect your, how did that affect your output? Because you make so much work like, so frequently, did, did that escalate mm -hmm. your, your output? How did that change your process? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have to be honest, like in the beginning, it was kind of like, I was like a machine almost. It was like, um, you know, like I, I really, it was like this instant gratification almost. Like if I made work, I had, I received certain, um, like attention and like gratification from people's like approval and, you know, being like that young being like oh my god like this is like so great like like i was just churning workout and um in school it was like i, I feel i felt like i should have just taken a pause but i was just so like kind of in this whirlwind moment um but i mean like albeit like i i do have like a pretty impatient like like i don't know personality or like um way of making too so it was kind of like i was already on this like rhythm anyways but uh, adding on to that the the people um like people's eyes on you i was like oh shit like i can like just keep doing this and then it took me a really long time to realize i was like oh, okay like i have to really sit with the work and kind of like let it marinate versus just like one after the other you know what type like i have to like ask myself like what type of artist that i really want to be if, and and how um sustainable it is for me to be doing this you know just for like my mental and it took me like honestly until like like the last couple months to really just like come together and calm down a little bit i don't know yeah i think something i've learned from doing this podcast about five to six years now is that amongst you know first generation immigrants there's just an a wholly unique desire to strive more so than like the person next to them and i think that's you know based on you know upbringing the the parental pressure some a lot of first gen immigrants feel that do you feel that pressure and also i i'm filipino and you're south korean but i think there's a very uniquely asian approach to excellence do you feel that oh yeah i mean this the bar you know i mean it's not even like i, I you know i was very fortunate enough that um i didn't my my parents were like it's like you do or die kind of mentality but i having witnessed like firsthand what my parents had gone through to get us here and like all the shit they had to go through you know and even now like I was like, okay, whatever I do is so minuscule. So if I'm going to do it, I have to do it well, you know, or, or like do it so they don't worry. And like, I just want to like take care of them at the end of the day. And um, yeah, like I, cause I would, I, like I said before, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for them. What is your, what are your parents or what does your mom think about your work? Cause she's, does she see your, your drawings, like, you know, these expansive, huge images that show you know, cr these crazy parties that she just like, what is Anna doing over in New York? You know, that's a good question. I don't, 
to be honest, I don't know what she honestly thinks about the work. I know she's like, wow, like these are big, you know? <laughs> um, I wonder when I was making those like party scene images, like um, if she had thought uh that was me because that was more like an ulterior version of me you know like it was um but yeah i don't know you know i haven't really like sat down and asked her about like what her <laughs> honest i mean i'm sure she'll be like i think it's great like can i have a drawing like that kind of thing you know i was actually just gonna ask you like when when you look at these huge drawings like do you see yourself as a person who made them too are you physically at the party? Like if this was a camera and I were just to pan to the right a little bit, is Anna hanging out there too? Or are you just observing? How connected are you to the content? Uh, I see it kind of like you are the voyeur and also you see yourself in each one of these people. Like we have all been at least one of these people at these gatherings or, you know, so it's like all these um, different self-portraits of the viewer, I guess. So, um, yeah, it's like you're imposing yourself onto, or not, you know, like these figures are kind of like vessels for your own thoughts and memories, right? So, yeah, that's how I think of them. I've read that you also, um, you're very open about being inspired by imagery on the internet, as well as like imagery from your own memory and also imagery of everything that's around you. During the pandemic, what was your mix of inspiration? Were you mostly, did you just kind of hermitize yourself a little bit or were you still trying to like seek stimulus in order to service your own output yeah i um i guess like initial lockdown i was like oh this is like amazing like i you know i'm like more of a introvert so it's like oh i can just stay um you know in my cocoon and no one will think it's like weird but then i realized seeing the work um i i do get influence just like on the day-to-day -day when you're on the train when you're walking through the city you know you're just like constantly you're rarely like really alone you know so um i think i did try to seek out certain other places to get stimulated but it's hard because like you know i'm already like online all the time but then like just fully going delving into that like your sense of reality is just like all fucked up and like you're just um yeah trying to kind of I don't know, formalize it in your work. And it's sometimes not that great because like your mental state is like not all there. So it was just like a weird, somewhat downward spiral of my sanity. And then like somewhat like seeking out my, uh, like, it, like the nostalgia I had with like being around people, you know, it's like when it's taken away from you, it's like you miss it. But like when you're in it, you're like, oh, I don't want to be doing <laughs> These social things, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. It's the it's the artist paradox. Like you want to be in it, but also you just don't want to be amongst any of those weirdos. <laughs> well, it's just I'm like, like you know, I like there's so many times where I leave things and I'm like, what the fuck did I just say? Or like, oh my god, I like just go into this anxiety spiral, you know? And yeah, it's just not great <laughs> sometimes. No, for sure. Actually, that's a good transition to like one of my last couple of questions. So. I just want to talk a little bit about mental health because you have been working at, at a crazy pace or an amazing pace, really. I think it, it's prolific, truly. Um, how are you taking care of your mental health these days? I know, you know, Miami is going to be a big thing in a couple of months, but how are you taking care of yourself, you know, resting mentally, physically, and also what what's some type of advice you can give to artists that are similarly in your position? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm really glad you mentioned this because I feel like it's 
almost romanticized to be this like distraught like you know no rest you know you're just staying up all nighter type of artist which is like if if it's someone's process and that's like how they were that's awesome but um it took it was like maybe a month and like two months ago where i hit like a uh my mental breaking point and i it wasn't like this chaotic like mess you know i it's just uh i realized like my relationship to my studio practice was deteriorating almost like it, it felt more like work versus oh i was like like excited to be generating ideas in the studio and it's like it's such a safe space for me and so like having my um like my relationship to that kind of devolve was pretty scary to me so um i actually like took two weeks to go to korea because i hadn't seen my family in like over six years like my dad or like my grandma and i was like you know what i think i should just kind of do a reset and i was like you know my mom was like oh let's just do it and i i think um that was probably the longest time i ever took a break two weeks in like two three years wow. <laughs> and i was like oh this is not good you know and like it's just i'm so fortunate that i you know i i have I've been able to work, especially throughout the pandemic and like to be able to just make work every day. It's a very privileged place to be in, but I think I forgot to kind of, um, take care of like my mental health space. Um, cause I always just like push it aside. I was like, okay, after this deadline, I'll be fine. Like, I'll just like I'll take care of it, but you're just gonna reach a point where you're like burnt out. And, um, yeah, I guess an advice would be, you know, I'm I'm still trying to figure it out too. In a way, it's like it's a lot of balance, um, and I know that's easier said than done. Because initially, when you're like starting out, you just you think you have to say yes to everything. And I am uh, inherent like people pleaser, so it's kind of like, oh yeah, like I'll do whatever you say, and like kind of, and I'll just like beat myself up for it. And I'm usually like crying manically like before every like deadline for like a week and then afterwards i'm like yeah it's fine and i'll just like compartmentalize and then start that process all over but i don't think that's very sustainable so um yeah i guess i don't know what type of advice but it's more like it's okay to say no yeah that's great <laughs> advice that's the best yeah. advice i think actually saying it's okay to say no and also being mindful and knowing when to you know take that break um, how far along are you for for our Basil? Are you are ready to go for that, or is there some work to do still? I actually might not go to our Basil this year. What breaking news? <laughs> me, me and Che, Che, who's also uh, hanging on the Zoom, like we're we're both aghast. Oh really? I don't know. Well, like I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, like I don't know. Like I mean, part of me, I'm probably might buy a ticket like last minute and just go down there, but. It's just like, I know it's going to be crazy and everyone's going and stuff, but, um, yeah, like the, the old granny part of me, I'm like, oh, I just like, want to like stay. Cause like, you know, I just like took like pretty much like a month break. It feels like, um, I don't know. Maybe I'll go. Well, yeah. I mean, if it, it's a good tax deduction regardless, so think about it, <laughs> a good Q4 tax deduction. I don't know if they taught that over at, uh, at your MFA, but. Oh, also another advice, like, yes, learn how to do taxes 
sooner than late and also like save start your retirement plan like you know as soon as possible for um they don't teach a lot of that in school one which is million percent yes absolutely <laughs> uh, okay so one last question here so um a little bit about the future so your work is very tactile um and also you know uh, physical mediums are kind of being rethought right now um what's the future of your work in terms of your content and also the way it you'll be creating in the immediate and also into the future? Uh, these, that's a good question, I guess, because now I'm like getting back into the groove of things in the studio. It's, um, I really do want to explore more personal um, matters in my work. And I, I mean that in like the sense of, I feel like my past work, it's always been like looking out or like more the external things right like you're uh, i'm looking at the environment with this like crowd and like i do want to kind of delve into more of the my inner workings as a per like it, it was so hard for me to make like personal work or like um about like my identity but not the identity of like oh like my my koreanness or like my i don't know like being um you know like having moved around but maybe like i just don't know how to like depict that in a more nuanced way and but i do want to explore more of that subject matter and as for materials it's kind of an open quite like open-ended thing i do want to experiment more but i don't really know what that looks like quite yet so um yeah Sorry for not the, <laughs> it's not a very direct answer. I'm just like talking in circles right now. No, it, it makes sense. Yeah. So who knows? Who knows what the future is? You can only know the future once the future actually happens. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Anna, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really cool conversation on a Saturday afternoon. Um, where can our listeners find you? And also all the readers of the OG find you on Instagram. You are Anna Park Art One Word, but anything else that you want to put out there? Um. No, that's about it. You know, like I'm not really on anything else or I'm not on TikTok or Twitter or anything. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. But thanks so much for having me. This was like really, really nice. Like start to the day on a Saturday. <laughs> oh, that's a great compliment. Thanks so much, Anna. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Shout out to Anna Park. Also check out her work. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, if you're in Miami, check it out physically, but also I'm sure she'll be showing in your hood coming very, very soon. She's everywhere. Uh, and you can find the First Generation Burn podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast content. Please rate us and drop a review. It helps spread the good word. Go to firstgenburden.com for all the episodes. On Instagram, we're at firstgenburden, one word. You can find me, your host, at rich underscore tu. Check out the OG magazine Link in the description. This is the second of a collaboration episode series. Also, check out Mini Cooper. Also, link in the description. Thanks to Desjin team for their support. Thanks to you, the listener. Be safe, everyone. Bye.